Welcome again to church. My name is Pastor Joe. This is Epiphany Church, and we are in the Gospel of John, as we've been in for the last few months. And we're in John chapter 13 today. And let me read it for your hearing. You can turn there or read along on the screen. John chapter 13, verse 1 goes, Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from the world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now when it is time for supper, the devil had already put into his heart, into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God and he was going back to God. So he got up from supper, laid aside his outer clothing, took a towel and tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his feet, his disciples' feet, to dry them with a towel tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, who asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I'm doing, you don't realize now, but afterwards you will understand. You will never wash my feet, Peter said. Jesus replied, If I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. One who has bathed, Jesus told him, doesn't need to wash anything except his feet, but he is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you, for he knew one of them would betray him. That is why he said, not all of you are clean. When Jesus had washed their feet, and put on, put on his outer clothing, he reclined again and said to them, Do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are speaking rightly, for that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example, that you should also... Do just as I have done for you. Truly I tell you, a servant is not greater than his master, and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Next slide. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Father God, help us to hear from you, see you, see you for who you are, Lord. Be blown away by how you act. Lord, reorient ourselves, God. Help us to just fix any wrong thinking we have in our head and help us to see you for who you are and who you're calling us to be. And help us, Lord, to not only hear and understand, but as your word promises, blessed are those who not only hear these things, but do them. So, Lord, I pray, Father, that you'd help us to rearrange our lives and to become more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I remember 
teaching a bunch of pastors. So in a former life, right, a few years ago, I was a missionary in Central Africa in the country of Rwanda, and we would have pastors come from all over the place. They came from every part of the country, mostly out in the village, and they would gather together. And I remember the first class, we would always ask them the same questions. We'd ask a bunch of pastors, we'd say, how many of you, and there might be like 40 people in the classroom, we say, how many of you have read the entire Bible? How many of you think put their hand up? A big fat zero, <laughs> right? And then we would ask them, okay, how many have read like one book of the Bible, like straight through? And like a couple people would raise their hand. And the book that they would have read, for the most part, was the book of Acts. And there was this sense in this part of the world that pastors wanted to have the power, the miracles, the experiences of the apostles. And so if they had been exposed to anything and they had desired to read anything, it would have been the, the book of Acts. They wanted power. They wanted prestige. They wanted those promises. And I get it. It's no different. You got to understand, the, the folks out in the villages in Central Africa, they don't have schools to go to. They were going to school for this. They don't have generations of, you know, maybe grandpa and great grandpa reading the Bible with them. No, the faith had come not that long ago, only like a generation or two ago. The faith was new. Everybody's grandma, everybody's grandpa had like six grandmas. You know what I mean? They were polygamists living without Christ. And this was all new. And they're out there in the village, and there ain't a lot to look at. There ain't a lot to do. And so everybody is pretty much living as a subsistence farmer. If you want to have a fire to cook dinner, you need to go cut down some trees, make charcoal with it. How many of you here know how to make charcoal? <laughs> I got an idea now. <laughs> Yeah, you got to basically dehydrate it. You put it in a furnace and then you get like the charcoals and then you can use that and get and cook an even hotter fire with it, right? You have to make every single thing from the land that you have, except out in the villages, there's this one dude, right? And that's the pastor. And so people want to be a pastor because they want to be great. They, they, they want to have, they, they want people to look up to them. They, they want to have power. They want to have money. They want to have prestige. And you know what the most horrible thing is? Is that the stuff that they hear on the radio comes from America that promises all these things to them. It's the same stuff on TV and on the radio here. But what would happen was beautiful. What would happen is beautiful. Like every year, we would also meet with the students that had been pastors and they had been um, in the program for four years. And so they're at the end of their four-year program 
And through these four years of program, they would have learned and read the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation in a community with great teaching. And they would have had somebody, like I would go, other teachers would go. We would go stay the weekend at their house, right? And so I would go, and sometimes, you know, you, you sleep on like a pile of banana leaves in a mud room, and there's like rats going over your legs. Man, you're not getting much sleep, right? That's not my normal environment. But we would see things that we never could see if we hadn't stayed in their homes. And we began to, to, to really build these deep relationships with them. And so the b- most beautiful thing on earth was these graduations where we would have these parties and all these pastors would come who completed the program and their wives would stand up and give testimonies like this. My husband used to beat me, used to drink, used to hang out on the top of the hill with all the people with the little shops while making us do twice the amount of work farming our land because he was the big pastor and that kind of work was beneath him. And now he prays with us every day. And he works in the field. And he loves us. And our church is growing because he's preaching the true gospel that forgiveness doesn't cost any money, that it's free, that anyone can come to him and he would serve them, he would love them. And see, what would happen is that these pastors would get in a room together and they would be studying God's word and the little bits and pieces of the made-up Jesus that they heard on the radio would begin to get dismantled and they'd encounter the real Jesus. And this story is one of those beautiful stories in the New Testament that they had never heard before. So you're telling me this miracle worker, powerful Jesus that can do anything that he took off his outer garment and he wrapped it around his waist. He got down on his knees and he started washing his disciples feet. Here's the thing that happened. They met the real Jesus in the scriptures and they fell in love with him. and realize he's a better Jesus than the radio Jesus and the TV Jesus. The picture of Jesus' entire ministry is in this one story. And it's also the picture and the model for how we're supposed to minister to each other. Like, this is how it's supposed to look. We're supposed to wash each other's feet. You know, this whole entire method of of leading and serving and ministering, it's been called servant leadership. Can somebody say servant leadership? You can, you gotta say it louder than that. You gotta, it's gotta come with some punch, right? We can do better. Somebody say servant leadership. 
Yeah, there you go. So servant leadership is a big theme. This is way the, the, the unique Jesus style of leading that was so radical, especially in the ancient world. Nobody had seen it. It had always been the case that leaders come and they're tyrants, dictators. They come and they put people under their feet. They make them do whatever they want them to do. And Jesus comes and he has followers. And in a world literally where a huge part of the population are literally slaves, Jesus relates to his followers in a radically different way. His whole point was, you know, y'all want to lead. You want to be important. But you got to do it the way that I'm doing it. Amen. He redefines leadership in terms of service. One, one time, the disciples came up to Jesus and they asked him, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? Like, who's going to be the greatest in heaven? Which, by the way, if that's your instinct, those are bad instincts. Like, you probably, like, <laughs> something might be wrong with your heart if you're looking around left and right to the other people in the church sitting in the pews next to you, and you're wondering, I wonder which one of us is going to have a better time in heaven than the other. Probably there's something you, you need God to, like, deal with some stuff in your soul. <laughs> But that's but but guys, that's the team we're on. Jesus's followers were broken, incomplete works with deep problems and insecurities, just like us. And so they come up to Jesus and they ask him, "Which will be the greatest?" And Jesus is like, "You don't know what you're asking. The greatest among you is the servant of all. The greatest among you is the servant of all." Now, several months before Martin Luther King Jr. died, he preached a sermon called the, um, the, the drum line major's instinct. You ever hear that? The drum line major's instinct. And it was this idea, like, if you see, like, the person that, you know, the, the, like, does a super fast tap and they're in the front of the parade, he said, listen, we all have a little bit of drum line major in us. That's what he was saying. Martin Luther King Jr. was saying, we all have a little bit of drum line major instinct in us where we want to be great. And then he preached a sermon. This comes right from it. This is, like, this is like six months before he would be shot for the work that he was doing. He said, and so Jesus gave us a new norm of greatness. And we have this quote. Okay. If you want to be important, wonderful. If you want to be recognized, wonderful. If you want to be great, wonderful. But recognize that he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. That's a new definition of greatness. And this morning, the thing that I like about it, by giving a, that definition of greatness, it means that everybody can be great because everybody can serve. Amen? 
You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and your verb agree to serve. You don't have to know about Plato and Aristotle to serve. You don't have to know Einstein's theory of relativity to serve. You don't have to know the second theory of thermodynamics in physics to serve. You only need a heart full of grace, a soul generated by love, and you can be that servant. Amen? That's a, that's a good word. <laughs> that's a good word. And here Jesus is that servant. He is practicing what he preaches. He doesn't just tell his disciples, oh, you want to be great, serve. He does say that. But then he shows them exactly what that looks like. And he takes off his outer garment, wraps it around his waist, and gets out the bucket of water and the, the stuff to clean the, the feet, right? And in verse 1, John, who was the youngest disciple, um, when, when Jesus around, so Jesus had all these followers, and John was one of the youngest ones. And then John, we are very familiar with because we, we, we remember that John's this crusty old man that the Roman Empire had to like put on an island in exile because they were tired of the apostles being martyred. And then it just seemed like every time they killed one of Jesus' disciples, it seemed like more people would follow Jesus. It seemed like it backfired. And so they tried another strategy and they put him on an island, but an angel came and revealed this book that we call Revelations that we preach through. Amen? But this is what I'm getting at. John was so close to Jesus. John just is the one who it describes him during the Last Supper. It says, the one whom Jesus loved laid on his side. So they were just chilling, right? John is just leaning up against Jesus. John is just close with Jesus, so much so that when Jesus is hanging on the cross, he looks down from the cross, he sees John, all of his other disciples, all the men had left. They ran scared. The, only the women are there crying and weeping, hanging on, loyal. But John, little, the youngest one is there. And he looks at John and he looks at his mother, Mary, and he says, Mary, behold your son. John, behold your mother. And what he's doing is, even as he's breathing his last breath, he's entrusting the care of his mother, not to his own blood family but to his friend, John. That's the kind of relationship that John and Jesus had. And while John is recalling this story about the foot washing, before he even gets into the story, he starts giving us these little comments. And he says, you know, he said that Jesus loved us to the end. Now to us, you know, if we were to tell a story, that might feel a little, a little sentimental, like, get to the thing, get to the point. But John is madly in love with his king and savior and lord and master. Amen? And he looks, at, he thinks about what Jesus did when he washed their feet. And he said this, he said he loved us to the end. Like, he's already thinking about Jesus on the cross. He's already thinking about him, like, breathing his last breath. He's already thinking about the redemption of the whole world for all who believe in him. John is the one who records Jesus saying, 
right? For God so loved the world, he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And then he says, in verse two, he says, he says, Jesus came from God and he knew this and that he was going back to God. I want you to understand how important this story is to John as he records it for us. He's like, Jesus knows he's about to die. He says it in so many different ways. And now he's saying, look, he's going back to God and he knows that he was from God. And John is just getting busted up and emotional here. And I need you to understand this. While in America, feet washing is weird, right? <laughs> and not something that we practice. Although I was a part of a brethren church, and every year, right, before Easter, on Maudie Thursday, we would do feet washing. We would wash each other's feet. But in general, washing each other's feet, I don't know about you, but like, I don't expect you to wash my feet when I come visit your house. Like, you're off the hook. So, just in case that was what was holding you up, inviting me over. But John is, is busted up and emotional here, not because feet washing is so weird or so extravagant or so unusual. Feet washing was normal. They lived in either muddy or dusty places. They didn't have the kind of sidewalks. You know what I mean? The nice little like perfectly manicured gardens and grasses that we have, right? You know, they, they, they lived in a rough terrain in the Near East where it's hot and it's either when it's raining, it's muddy, and when it's hot and dry, it's so dusty. And so what would happen here is that you would get your lowest servant. You would get the lowest ranked person in your household, and it was an expectation, not a weird, abnormal thing. It was an expectation that you would wash the feet of those who visited you, but you would get the lowest person in your family to wash the visitor's feet. But what I love about American culture is we got this ideal, this idea, this thought that we can be whatever we want to be, right? That nobody is better than anybody else. And I'm like, I'm a member of the Lions Club, which is this like really large service club say they're the largest they're like the largest volunteer organization in the world I don't know about that but <laughs> they do a ton of good and there's like chapters in like every town right and um, and we had this toast it's not like a fraternity so it's not like a secret thing I'm telling you <laughs> it's not like some secret society right <laughs> but like they have this toast when we start these meetings right as uh, we have our meal and we lift our glass and we say we're not, a, not above you, not below you, but with you. And I, I love that, <laughs> right? I love it. And foot washing, where you have a servant and a master type relationship, it feels like the least American thing possible. <laughs> However, there is something we miss in this. 
when everybody, when everyone is treated the same, nobody is treated special. Do you hear what I'm saying? When we treat everybody the same and as equal, we don't understand service. We don't understand how to honor anybody. We don't understand how to make anyone feel special. You know, and I've been in other cultures. When you have a guest, you know what I mean? You're not busting into their kitchen and they're giving you something to do and you have this like really close, like it's all good. And there's nothing wrong with that. And like I said, I love that, right? But but when you go to other cultures, you, you go in the, the front room, right? And they're going to bring out like a hot towel to wash your hands. They're going to put on, you know what I mean, the game on or whatever it is that you like. It's not about them, right? They're going to make sure that you feel comfortable. And you need to understand that in this day and age, they had a saying that when you treat visitors well, you might be entertaining angels without knowing it. They had this belief that guests were a blessing from God. They would go into debt. There's stories in the New Testament that when somebody visits you at an odd hour that you weren't expecting. Now, in America, that's like a bad friend, right? <laughs> but they had these stories where people would just like show up at your door. And what would they do? They would go and they would ask their neighbor and keep knocking on the door for some food to take care of their guests. Now, we read that and we misread it. <laughs> Not understanding this deep culture of hospitality, that the expectation was to even go into debt because what really matters is being with other people. You got to understand, times was rough. If you didn't let somebody come in your home and possibly stay the night, what could have happened to them out on those streets, out in the wild where there's wild animals, out exposed where they don't have a fire, right? And it gets cold at night where they don't have protection. And so this whole thing with guests was a big deal in this culture. And one of the ways they showed this was by washing feet, People were not self-sufficient. Nobody's going home and popping in a microwave dinner <laughs> or just dry, getting into the drive-in at McDonald's, right? <laughs> and we may think we're so equal and we're so self-sufficient and we got it together, but the underneath the surface and not that far underneath the surface... We got all kinds of boundaries and walls built up around how educated you are, what your race is, what your culture is, what your lifestyle's like, right? But Jesus comes in like a wrecking ball and blows up all these expectations, right? And he does this. And the reason that this thing is so wild is because, not because people's feet were being washed, but because the master was washing the servant's feet. So he didn't just say, hey, we all the same. It's all good. You know what I mean? Like, here's a bucket of water. Wash your own feet. 
We want to follow a Jesus like that. I know you do because we're Americans. There's like a bit of us that just wants to like follow Jesus at our own pace. We, we want to learn at our own pace. We, we want to kind of, well, our life's a little hectic right now. I'm going to try to do X, Y, and Z. And Jesus is like, no, you called me master and teacher and you were right. That's what I am. I'm your master. I'm your teacher. <laughs> and Jesus wants to have that relationship, but he throws it all upside down and the master washes the servant's feet and he throws all this upside down not by calling all of us masters because boy we would like that wouldn't we like we are sons and daughters of the living God we are masters (laughs) no Jesus does something other than that he does something radical than that he says look I am the greatest servant be like me. You want to be great? Serve. You want to be great? Lay down your life for others. Consider other people's needs before your own. You want to be great? Wash each other's feet. You want to be great? Do the humblest possible things for each other. That's what it looks like to be great. That's what it looks like to be a servant. And Jesus is saying that the world might want to seize power, swag out, flex out, and all this confidence. But Jesus is saying what really matters is being a servant. And then the way that he serves us most is by washing us. And you have to let God serve you this way. Your relationship with God, you won't get it all now, like Jesus says. He's just basically saying to them when they're like, they don't understand why. Like, why is our rabbi and our Lord washing our feet? And he's like, you don't understand this now, but you will. I I just need you to know that your entire relationship with Jesus is one of trust and one where you don't need to understand everything that he's doing and everything that he's calling you to. But you need to trust him. You you need to do what he says still. And your relationship with God is dependent on Jesus doing this. And there's so much irony here because Peter later says this amazing thing to Jesus. Peter says... Like he, he calls him Lord and then he says no really emphatically. So th- this is amazing to me because he's like, you're the Lord, but you will never, no, you will, he says it twice, no, you'll never wash my feet. <laughs> Do you see the irony <laughs> where Peter th- is arguing that since you are Lord, th- since you are everything, I will get, wait, wait. You don't say no to your master. And you definitely say, you're never going to do this. And I need you to know that you never say, I'm never doing A, B, and C for God. I'm never going to that place. I'm never forgiving that person. I'm never doing, right? You, we don't say that. But let's give Peter some credit because when Jesus jams him up, this is what I love about Peter. Peter sins boldly. Peter just just goes out and does things, says things. Sometimes he speaks before he thinks, acts before he thinks, right? But then when Jesus jams him up, 
he fixes himself real quick. And this is an encouragement because we don't have to be stuck on our stupid, right? When Jesus jams you up and shows you that you're wrong, you can make a pivot, an audible. You can change directions. And Jesus, and Peter's like, when he hears that Jesus says, listen, I gotta wash you or you can't be with me. Peter's like, all right, I'm doing the math in my head. Whatever I said was dumb and I want to be with Jesus. <laughs> Right? And so he goes the other direction. He's like, then don't just wash my feet. Wash my head. Wash my hands. Wash everything, Lord. Amen? And so Peter just does this amazing 180. And um, Jesus kind of breaks it down for him. Listen, I don't, I don't need to wash you again. You've been washed. You know, you need to listen to me. This is really important. If you are in Christ, you have been forgiven once and for all for every sin that you've ever done and ever will do. And yet at the same time, as you walk through life, you're going to get your feet dirty. As you walk through life and have arguments with your spouse and your brother and your sister, as you have beefs with your neighbors, as you get sucked up into all kinds of drama, right? You're going to get your feet dirty. Now, it's not that Jesus, like, looks at you and sees you entirely as unforgiven, but there is a strain on your relationship with God that you need to regularly let Jesus cleanse you. This is a part of the Christian life where every day we set aside a t time, right, to confess our sins. We're not confessing our sins all the time out of a fear like, oh, if I don't do this, I'm going to hell. We're confessing our sins as Christians because we want that closeness with Jesus. We feel distant from him. We want to be in fellowship with him. We want to walk with him and not walk in the world where our feet get dirty and messed up. And so you need to let Jesus serve you in this way and not be too proud to come to him and name specific ways that you sinned. There is so much freedom in doing this. There is so much freedom in doing this. Um, I, and I just want to end with this. Like, I know what it's like. I know what it's like to be in a rut. I know what it's like to feel like you're that hamster in the hamster wheel and you're going and going and going, but you're not going anywhere. What it's like to go and drive like you're doing donuts in the snow in the parking lot, right? It, it, it's like you're not going anywhere. And I know what it's like to try to come to God, try to get your life together, try to do all these things and just to feel like you're falling flat on your face. But one of the things that we can't stop doing is we can't stop confessing our sins. We cannot relate to God simply as victims of our circumstance. You know that you are wrong and you know that you're drifting into a bad spot when you just look around and feel sorry for yourself and don't feel conviction for your sin. We all need daily washing. You hear what I'm saying? 
But then we also wash each other's feet. We wash each other's feet. We serve each other. We love each other. And that looks like so many different things. Maybe it's like letting somebody's kid come to your house, hang out, de-stress. Maybe that looks like bringing some food over to somebody. You know, they just got some bad news. Maybe that looks like let's get in the car, drive down to the beach at like 2 a.m. and then drive back just to, just to talk about it, just to, to get away, right? Knowing that certain people have certain temptations at certain times and checking in on them. Be like, yo, you all right? You good? Right? Like, don't, don't go back to the stuff you were doing. Knowing, having those conversations, even knowing that that brother or sister or friend might actually get mad at you and try to say all kinds of crazy stuff in the moment, but knowing that you would rather love them and serve them than just to keep everything cool and to keep everything just chill and you don't actually help that person. We have to serve each other. We have to wash each other's feet. That's why we're here. And it's not just about like coming to church and all that stuff, but it's about being in relationship and actually getting involved in each other's lives. And I preach that as somebody that looks out to our church, and I'm happy to say that we've done a lot of that. (laughs) I've been in churches where that's just something they talk about. But that's something that we've walked in this community. And I pray that if that hasn't been your experience, that you would allow that to happen because it is happening. (laughs) There is a lot of burden bearing and caring and love and walking with each other through life. And I invite you to join into that. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you. Thank you for this service lord thank you for the truth of your word thank you for the worship lord and we pray lord that you would just be with us in every way in jesus name amen i'm going to pray for the offering as we sing our last song brother bob is going to help collect it